tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey, um, this is Brett. Welcome to Overtired. I'm here with Christina and our special guest, Aaron Dawson. Uh, first off, how's it going, Christina? Uh, pretty good. I'm tired, uh, which is good, I guess, for the name of the show. But yeah, I've had like three hours of sleep. So I'm a, I'm a little more tired than usual. Although I took my Dexedrine like right before we started recording. So in probably 15 minutes, I'm going to like get my, you know, burst of like, you know, amphetamine, adrenaline or whatever. We'll we'll be able to hear it, I'm sure, once it kicks in on the show. I have you beat. I got two hours of sleep and I've been up since midnight. Uh, it's not it's not a manic episode. I was just doing research for this podcast. So, Aaron, how much sleep did you get? Thanks for asking, Brett. I got about a solid seven, not to brag. Wow. God damn. Sorry. You're like fucking fucking neurotypical people. Well, I'm, I'm I'm sorry to assume and I'm not I'm not actually assuming because you're on our podcast. So uh, there's got to be like something that, that makes you, you know, like special because we're special types of assholes. But uh, seven hours. Congratulations. Hey, thank you so much. Um, so. With that seven hours, though, it was a pretty shaky kind of sleep. So I went out last night um, to a little cocktail bar, and I felt okay about it because I got tested yesterday. I've been um, doing a lot of travel recently because I just moved from Los Angeles to Pittsburgh. So I've been in airports, and I just wanted to be safe. So I felt okay about it. Um, So even though I got a solid seven, I'm a little worse because we stayed out a little bit. So that's um, Aaron and I had this uh, really fun conversation once about an unnamed coworker. Like he has a name, but we're not going to name him. We're just going to say uh, like, like, like X. Yes. Coworker X. Uh, we decided he was aggressively normal. <laughs> like speaking of neurotypical, he was aggressively normal and it doesn't bode well for either Aaron or me. I shouldn't talk for Aaron. Aaron, how do you feel about aggressively normal people? It doesn't bode well. If I could, if I can get into the mental health stuff just right off the bat, uh, I have like a pretty quick like barometer for if I'm going to get along with someone and it's completely vibe based, right? And that, that sort of test is like, do I think this person has ever wanted to do something harmful to themselves or do I think this person has ever struggled mental health wise? And if the answer is like a no and a hard no, it's going to be a bummer because that's kind of like the main (laughs) emotional foundation um, (laughs) that I keep with other people. So I don't think this, I don't think that Mr. X has ever, ever, ever wanted to do that. No, I I highly doubt that. Which, you know, I mean, Cannot relate, uh, personally, but at the same time, I'm kind of like happy for you, Mr. X. Like, <laughs> I, I, I see, I, I 100% uh, see where you're coming from, Aaron. You're like, I don't think we're going to vibe because this is like a core part of who I am and like cannot relate. But then part of me is like, I'm actually quite happy for you that you've never had to experience this. This is strange. I don't know what to do with this information, but good for you, I guess. There's a whole world out there for normal people where they like hang out with other normal people and do normal stuff and never think bad thoughts. 
Well, if they do think bad thoughts, it, I, I imagine their bad thoughts are nothing like my bad thought. Probably. That's weird to think yeah. about. We talked a couple of weeks ago about masking and um, and then uh, we did get some uh, inc- incidentally, we did get some like uh, uh, listener responses to my other controversial stances in that episode, <laughs> which I will not be relitigating. Uh, and I appreciate the responses. I'm happy that we can have those discussions. But uh, we were talking about masking and. Yeah, it's a weird thing for me because, like, part of me, I'm like, I think sometimes people have who don't know me, um, and 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 don't like listen to anything I say or like read what I write or whatnot. Like, they they don't have those concepts of stuff with me, and so they make assumptions. And then I'm like, yeah, no, I I I'm not, you know, like a a, a normal person. But but people often who just like see the surface level stuff, are like. I, most of my life have kind of made those assumptions and I'm like, no, not, not accurate. Yeah. yeah. One of the first things I, I feel like, Brett, when you and I met each other uh, officially, and I've known of you for a, for a while before we started working together, but um, I feel like one of the first things you mentioned in your sort of introduction is like, hey, uh, sometimes I, I have this thing going on and uh, I might act a little differently and my schedule might be sort of asynchronous with yours, um, but usually I bounce back and it's not a big deal. And that that endeared you to me very quickly. That's funny. I immediately regretted making that my like opening <laughs> line. I felt like maybe that was definitely oversharing. No, I... I yeah. Fun. I love oversharing. I mean, it, it's the it's the sort of like um, not evil twin of of the thing earlier, where if you've never wanted to, you know, do something harmful, then I can't relate to you. If you are an oversharer, especially about this stuff, like I absolutely love you already, foundationally, unconditionally. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I like you're the only person at work that I have openly talked about my bipolar with. Um, you like there was an immediate like I felt like I could trust you and uh like disability laws and everything I'm not scared that I like can't talk about it to my manager and if it ever becomes necessary to like explain something uh I'm I'm not worried about it but like I'm not going to tell Mr. X he doesn't need to know no he's on a need to know basis yeah, I think that's like, and that's like the weirdly je ne sais quoi thing, right? Like when you meet somebody and you just know like you can trust them and talk to them and you can have that human moment of sharing or or even if you feel like it's oversharing, which I think is great. And uh, I'm glad that you have somebody that like you can talk to at work about that stuff, right? I certainly have people that I can, although like to, to varying degrees. And I'm sure I know I have colleagues and people who like listen to this, which is weird. So I'm kind of like, well. My whole life is out there, so whatever. But like, I know that like my managers don't listen to this, which thank God. Um, but yeah, but that's that's nice that you have that. But I do also understand there are those people who are like, yeah, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna have this conversation because it's they either, either may a may not understand or b it's just like not not the best opener because just don't need to know like just it's not something you you feel like you need to share with them. You want to know what else I did in our very first conversation? What is that? I had put together some pieces of a co- of conversation and decided that uh, that I understood Aaron's sexuality, and 
um, instead of asking her like what her sexuality was, I just out and out said, Hey, are you, and I, I, I think I threw you, Aaron. I didn't mean to. <laughs> no. And then I made a crack about, about vegans in California and the whole thing felt weird. No, no. Um, there's a, there's a sixth love language. Um, and for me, that's being like made fun of. That's the only way I feel. Sometimes. <laughs> um, or affection, not just love. Right. Um, yeah, that, that, that felt really, really good to me. I, I think I kind of responded in kind by sending you some of my music, like band camp links, which I later you said I had to, I yeah. had to stalk you first. <laughs> Like I found you on SoundCloud. I didn't find your band camp. It wasn't until we'd known each other for a, a few weeks that you shared your band camp URL with me. We should put that in the show notes. Do you want that in the show notes? Oh, that'd be fine. That'd be great. Yeah. 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 Put, put, put her, put her band camp stuff in the show notes. I, I actually shared. Um, so, so. I was doing a, I had a, I had a call with someone at work recently and they needed to share their screen. And, uh, while sharing their screen, they, they played a YouTube video. And when the YouTube video ended, you know, you get to see a bunch of thumbnails for suggested recommended videos. And they were all tool videos, like nice. tool covers, tool drumming, uh, live tool sets. And I said, nice. Oh, you like tool and, and he lit up and we talked about metal for a while. And I, you know, I mentioned that I'm a musician. I actually went to school for music, this kind of thing. And afterwards slacked him, uh, you know, a, a link to some of my like more metally stuff and immediately deleted it because I was embarrassed and he called me out. Um, and it's weird. It's, it's sharing this really personal part of yourself when you talk about your mental health at work or you show someone your art. Um, yeah. it's, it feels like, you know, the stigma about mental health is, is sort of eroding over time and like pretty quickly, um, except this, except when there are power dynamics at play, especially in the workplace, please, please. Right. Um, yeah. so I felt weird no, that's it. a great point. And, and it's weird, right? Because there are certain mental health things you can talk about at work, I think, that are accepted. And then there are ones that aren't, right? Like, um, and I think this is like totally fucked up. But like, if you have anxiety or ADHD, that's more understood. But if you are, say, in the middle of like an actual major depression, or if you suffer from bipolar, or if you have, you know, some sort of other disorder, then that's like, not quite as, right. as understood. And, and it's so this weird thing, like at this point, I think, especially in the industry that we work in there, it feels like everybody is, is ADHD, which, um, uh, is nice. Right. I have to say it, and people like have actual diagnoses and, um, and a lot of people are on medicine for it. Uh, like, uh, I, I've shared this on the show before, but it was remarkably easy maybe to, uh, no, I'm not going to say to to a scary degree because actually it should be like this. But but it was remarkably easy when I hadn't been on my ADHD meds in a couple of years because I'd ghosted my shrink and and did stupid stuff. And I moved to Seattle and I went to the doctor on the Microsoft campus and I was talking to her about stuff. First time I've ever met her. I told her the name of my doctor. 
she didn't actually like check stuff. I told her I had a diagnosis and she wrote me a script for my dexedrine that I got filled that day. And then I was even able to get another refill. Um, and then I needed to like get back in touch with my shrink and get stuff done. Um, but that was like my first visit. And I was like, that was a really easy way of getting access to drugs where you didn't actually like you took my word for it, which I think is great and the way it should be, but not the way it usually goes. And I've known like I've had like coworkers who've come into the office and have like gone to the on campus like health center and have like gotten like an Adderall prescription like that day. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like I'm sure like without them, you know, calling like to confirm with their other doctor or anything or whatever. Um, so it feels like that's an accepted thing. But there are other things that it's like there is more of a stigma around. And I don't know if it's that it's not accepted because I could be wrong. It could be more open to talk about it. But like I have I've had like managers and like executives who will talk about being ADHD. But I don't hear the same thing about like depression, you know, or bipolar. Or, oh, no bipolar. One, no absolutely one, not. No one's upfront about bipolar. No, not at all. I mean, the, the bipolar stigma is still there. I think it's important. Like people like Catherine Zeta-Jones, there have been some other like you know, celebrities have been open Kanye. about it. Well, yeah, but Kanye is a bad example, right? <laughs> like, like Kanye, like, I'm sorry, but like, frankly, like, it almost hurts some of the stuff more. Um, oh, for sure. And uh, which, which is sad. A, he's a bad representative for bipolar. Well, I mean, the, the art is great, but like you see like the pain and like, this is why I had to stop like engaging with his Twitter stuff because I was like, oh shit, this is like, honestly, not a good thing. This is not okay. But yeah, but bipolar, you don't see people open about that, even though it's, you know, more common. Um, It's not a super common thing, but it's it's more common. But yeah, like there's still a stigma attached to that. Like, I don't think I'd be having a conversation about that with like a corporate vice president. I have a theory about this. Which is, um, you know, some of that, there's like an Overton window of mental health here and bipolar, ADHD, they're included. Like you can talk about that stuff. We're still coming off of, of like bipolar and ADHD. Uh, we still kind of consider them like quirky or something, but not diagnoses for troubled people. Um, right. They're quirky. Whereas, whereas something more serious, um, like a capital D depression. Um, and this is where the like theoretical uh, part comes in. It distracts from capital, from production, from labor, from work. And ergo, there's the there's still that stigma around it because, especially you know places like uh, like if you work in an open office and you're gone for periods of the time, period long periods of time, like not a good look. At, at some places, depending on how the vibe of the office is, and so the 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 diagnoses that and 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 you know I guess illnesses that distract and and prevent you from actually working are still stigmatized. Whereas the quirky ones, yeah, you get a pass, or you're, they're not they're seen as not as serious. Why are managers so obsessed? Well, some managers so obsessed with the hours you work. I, our managers are pretty cool. You know, as long as you get your shit done and you do good work, they don't really care when you come into work or when you leave work. No one checks my clock. But I, the, when I quit my last job, it was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back was I refused to make my team work on a Saturday. 
and uh, and that w- I was reprimanded for that. And I, my contract said we don't work weekends, and I I stood my ground. Good for you. And and it didn't go well. And then I quit. I wasn't fired. I got I got pissed about it, and that was I mean I was already pissed, but then I got and then I was just done. Yeah. Although in retrospect, maybe you should have quit, or maybe you should have let them fire you because maybe the severance would have been better. Yeah. That's always and the weird thing to know. When I offered my resignation, the response was, that's weird. I was just about to give you a raise. I'm not sure if that's true or not. The guy was a snake. That's what they all say. Yeah. I, sp- I spent the rest of the next five years kind of regretting not having a stable job. It's good to, it's good to be back in the workplace. We're glad you're back. But yeah, it is. That is like a, I don't know. Um, I'm lucky that unless we're on like deadline on something like we're not super obsessed with with ours but it's also been weird the last year and a half because we've all been working from home and it's all been this weird fucking pandemic bullshit um that thanks to the anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers we're going back into more lockdown stuff which is fucking terrible um so it's been easier but yeah, I don't know. Like it is a weird thing because I've been on so many, I've been on a number of different teams at Microsoft and some of the teams are definitely more like you need to be in the office and make FaceTime sorts of things, but they're not, but like it's for appearances. It's not as if they're actually like looking to see if I'm doing anything in my, in, you know, in the office, just, I need to show up at, you know, 20 hours of meetings a week. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 uh, before that, you know, I was in, I was in news and, that's probably one of the like least good careers in terms of like a work-life balance you can have. Sure. You're slave to the, the headlines at that point. Yeah. Cause it never stops. And if you're yeah. following something, it doesn't matter if it's like three o'clock in the morning, like you have to get up and, and cover it. So if it's like your story, your beat or whatever. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have made it in that profession. You know what? We got to we got to get rid of the Zoom bots in Slack. It is way too easy for people to start Zoom meetings. Like you can just pop into someone's chat, someone's chat type slash Zoom meeting and boom, you're in a Zoom meeting with someone and there needs to be a barrier. You should have to schedule that shit. <laughs> anyway. Do, do people actually do that? Do people like not say, hey, can we have a call? And and, and instead they just like randomly start a meeting, like start a meeting with you? Well, there, there will be one chat message prior to it. Uh, hey, let's have a call. And then the thing pops up with the link to join the Zoom meeting. Yes, people all over my place of work do that. I hate surprise meetings. Anyway, Aaron, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to shut up soon, but I, I'm curious about this thing you put onto our shared show notes document about dud therapy sessions. Yeah, right. Okay. So I, it's been about three years since I've seen a therapist. Um, and over the pandemic, which is not over, I, you know, felt like I needed to come back, I needed to come back to the fold. And I found a Jungian with whom I wanted to work. And her name is Wendy. She's great. Um, and, and, We've had really huge breakthroughs and it's been so good for me. Um, I never cry, um, but during some of these sessions, like I get weepy. Um, 
And, and so they've been historically really good. But recently, there, there have been a couple sessions where it just feels like, you know, why am I here? It feels like I'm at a tiki bar talking to a good friend about some issues that I just, that are like dear to me and are painful to me. And it feels good to just talk to someone about them, but there aren't a lot of like, there's not a lot of moving the needle mental health wise or trying to unspool a lot of this stuff that's been, you know, for years been like this, this really naughty with a K, uh, thing mm-hmm. thing for me and so last session this week it just felt like it felt like that again and i i turned that kind of inwards or i felt like i failed my therapist and i feel like i fail her when this happens and i feel like that because i don't know i maybe i'm like too professional about therapy. Like, I want to come with notes. I want to come with stuff to talk about rather than let it, you know, be this like natural, con- unscripted conversation. And I find that when I do prepare notes, we don't talk about any of the stuff that I really wanted to, but it's stuff that we needed to talk about. But when I don't prepare notes, it's this weird thing. When I don't prepare notes, we. And, 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 and trust that it will be an organic kind of conversation uh, leading to, you know, these, these breakthroughs and moving the needle. Nothing ever happens. Um, and I feel like I fail my therapist when that happens, like that I didn't do enough prep, that I didn't do enough work to say, like, this is what I want to get through today and in the next couple months. And I feel like I need therapy for failing therapy. It makes me feel really terrible. But yeah, it's just done. Yeah. Just a dud session. I like, I, the times I've gone to therapy, I've found that I do not let myself be genuine. Like I put up this, like, here's who I want to be. Oh. And I'm going to describe things the way I, I kind of wish they were. And it's really, I've never gotten to a point where I feel like I'm being honest. And then the session ends and I feel like, well, they probably have a great impression of me, but they have no idea who yes. I actually am. Oh my God. Sing it, sister. Yeah. Like I, I'm pretty flirty and that's, that's not necessarily a romantic thing for me, right? Like, I like to have Super fun family. with people and, yeah, yeah, and, like, play and charm. And uh, my therapist is no exception. Uh, and we bring that up in therapy. Like, I want you, I don't want you to think ill of me. And I'm not scared that you will because it's your job to, to sort of not analyze me, but ex- we're all explainable. And I, I would like you to explain me, but I do also need you to like me. <laughs> and I want to impress you. And I want to make dumb jokes with you. And it feels good when there is no reaction to those jokes. And when that kind of charm doesn't really work. Because in, in not really reacting to that stuff, she's sort of like communicating with me like that we're not here for that we're in and and sometimes that's a defense mechanism right like a nervous laugh or or that kind of thing so i'm i'm actually heartened by that it's interesting so i've been with my therapist who's also so he's 
both a psychiatrist and he does therapy, which is a rare combo. But um, um, uh, and I've been seeing him at this point for other than like the the two year like dark period. I've been seeing him since I was 19 or 20. So like half my life. So more than half my life. Um, Like you're not 40. No, I'm not 40. So (laughs) anyway, but, but, but approaching. So so I've been seeing him for like 18 years. So um uh say like that that two-year kind of like dark period so he knows me pretty well and he's seen me through some shit right and and we used to have it in person although it's been over the phone for the last 10 years um and now he's actually because he's in his 70s um and god i hope he doesn't retire but i know that's coming um he uh with the pandemic and stuff is probably only going to be doing like you know phone conversations and look if you can charge $300 an hour or whatever it is that he charges. Um, And of course he does not take insurance Um, for being on the phone with people. I'm, I'm sure that, that, that uh, suits him just fine. Um, So I'm pretty honest with him and he definitely has seen like the real me. And I think he likes me and I think he's proud and that makes me feel good. I think he's proud of like who I've become and like, cause he's watched me, you know, like, you know, my, my whole adulthood basically, which feels really good. And that's really nice. And so I, I totally like, relate to the whole wanting them to like like you sort of thing but i will say and this is what's interesting i do have the same sort of thing where if i don't come with like a plan of a thing that i need to talk about we will just have more general conversations and sometimes that can be helpful and he'll come up with with things that we can kind of work through but sometimes it'll just feel like okay well what did i just pay for and so i do have to like when I was earlier, when I was younger and things, and I think we were probably getting like he was getting to know me and we were getting to kind of try to figure out, you know, approaches uh, to both medicine and 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 my um, my mental health and things like that. Like there was probably more exploration where that sort of general talking was probably really good. But now there are times where I do have to come in and be like, okay, this is what I want to talk about today. And this is what I need to try to work through. And these are things that I'm trying to approach. Um, but it also, and in, in, I'll be honest, sometimes in some cases, there are situations where I'm just like, I don't want to talk about this. I know that I should, but I don't want to. So we'll just talk about the other things that are going on and the other stresses and, and or, or not stresses. You, you pay $300 an hour out of pocket. Oh yeah. It must be good. Yeah. Yeah, no he's he's excellent. He's excellent. No, I mean and and I'm look not to like I'm I'm very fortunate and and I've been doing this like I see him I see him monthly at this point. So it's it's not like a a weekly thing. Um when I was younger when things were really bad when I was like in in college there were sometimes I would see him like weekly or every other week. Um but obviously uh that's not a a super uh uh, economical thing um and then um when i was in new york and uh i made less money and and whatnot like it wasn't the easiest thing always to do but yeah uh, I, i'm not saying that didn't have anything to do with why i ghosted him that was just my own mental health and stuff being bad and like don't ghost your shrink but yeah um yeah 300 dollars an hour yeah you ready for I'm- this I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to segue into a sponsor break before I shut up for a while. Okay. Speaking of mental health, you know, what can really make you crazy? What's that? Too many emails. Boom. 
Inbox Zero is a thing of the past. We're all so inundated with email now that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. Think of it as an EMT for your email. As messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you, sifting only the important emails in your inbox and directing all the other distracting stuff into your Sane Later folder. So you know what messages to pay attention to now and what stuff you can get to later on. It also has nifty features like the same black hole where you can drag messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again and same reminders uh, to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client on any computer or phone anywhere you check your email. I've been using SaneBox forever and I recommend it to everyone. My entire email workflow is based around it. Uh, one of my favorite add-on features is snoozing. Instead of relying on various apps to uh, with, with their own snooze buttons, I can create custom mailboxes with custom timers like three hours tomorrow or next week. And then I just move a message from my inbox to one of those folders. And when the time's up, they move back to my inbox as unread messages. And they work no matter which mail client I'm using, which is great if you prefer something awesome like MailMate on your Mac. So see how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com overtired today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash overtired. And I, I, it, it's, I've always thought SaneBox should sponsor us, and now they are. So a big thanks to Spain, SaneBox. Yay, thank you, SaneBox. So I'll let you guys either continue with the mental health discussion or move on to something uh, that I would hate, <laughs> like, you know, The Bachelor or whatever. <laughs> Are you watching Bachelor in Paradise? You know, I am. Uh, I love it. I've, I've inhaled it. Have, yes. have you been watching? Oh, I, yes. Yes. Bachelor in Paradise at this point is the only reason I'm kind of still watching the franchise because I want to know who the players in Bachelor in Paradise are. Wow. I kind of hate all the leads. I kind of hate all the leads, if I'm being honest. Okay. Yeah. Very, very relatable. I I started watching pretty recently. Like I started with Hannah B's season. Okay. Um, okay. So okay. So you are definitely newer. Okay. All right. Definitely. Definitely. But I'm I'm in the I'm in the fandom now, I I guess. Yeah. Like really hard. Yes. Sorry. Yes, of course. I'm in the I'm in the niche. Um, I wasn't to a lot of podcasts about it. I'm on the subreddit, uh-huh. um, and like I'm finding that among a lot of queer people, there is a special place in in the queer heart for for this stupid show. Yes, it's really really the tie that binds us all. Well, it's a great show, and some of the podcasts. So. I think Nick Vial, I love him. He's like one of my favorite like contestants like ever. And I think yeah. his podcast is good. There's some other really good podcasts. Um, and it's this weird thing in the last like five or six years, like the show is like taken on a new, I think, audience where like you still have like the like Midwestern or Southern like middle-aged like white Christian women, like that's still mm-hmm. a contingent. But there's also like this younger, queerer, uh, like more alternative, like more like just you know people who watch it started ironically and then we're like 
god damn it yeah. this is actually really it's, good. Good. it's really and, good and like, this is, yeah this is, this is a terrible show but yeah, it's, it's fantastic have you watched um f boy island you know yes uh so I, I i've seen like the first two episodes and i had to nope out and the reason i noped out is because you know you need at least one redeemable person um and no one on f boy island besides the host is is like likable in any way um so i i there are too many like chad energy dudes that i i, I had to it was too testosterone I had to know about. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I do enjoy F-Boy Island, which is, is from, um, I think, like the, I think it's like a, also a Micah Fleiss um, mm-hmm. production. And then uh, there's a, you know, in the, in the UK, there's Love Island, which is fantastic. Uh, and, and, and it, I think a Bachelor in Paradise is the closest thing that we really have to a, to a Love Island. I've had like many conversations with my um, British colleagues about these sorts of things and i'm like okay if you need like the american equivalent you have to watch bachelor in paradise because it is yeah. just the trashiest but like best thing and yet shockingly like there's i mean every couple of years there's like a wedding um yeah it works which sometimes is, it works sometimes um uh, uh tanner and jay still seem to be together um uh from from years ago and and carly and i can't think of the dude's name but yeah um it's uh yeah so uh connor i saw this in the i I saw i saw you put this in in the show notes um uh connor uh who's uh we should uh, let uh people uh, listeners know who i'm sure most of you do not listen to the do not watch the bachelor uh he's a cat um strong feline uh, energy yeah there's a cat on the bachelor I find that that's a sympathetic character to me. Do you want to explain this, Christina? Well, he's not like quite uh, a furry, but like he's like dressed up as as as, like a cat. Yeah, but he does have like strong like 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 cat like like uh, uh, energy. Um, So so the way this works, Brett, um, and and I hope you you'll forget this, and I hope you do because you had such little sleep such so few hours of sleep um i've already forgotten oh thank god but but the way that this works is when contestants for the bachelorette all men get out of mm-hmm. the limousine and meet they have like an intro yeah the bachelorette for the first time they try to woo them by doing some kind of novel thing that is designed to be memorable so like one bro from this season uh james who looks like a villain christina um stayed mm-hmm. in a box for a while and, and and revealed himself later at at one of the cocktail parties someone had like a bouncing like a like a bouncing castle or something like this and connor came out in a cat suit because he has a strong meta game he found on the internet that katie thurston the bachelorette was a big cat fan and so he donned a cat costume um so it's a bit on the nose it, it's very on the nose i'm sure that actually a producer came up with it because the producers are highly involved in these shows in <laughs> fact there was a whole uh series on um on lifetime and then on hulu um about the behind the scenes thing um of a uh, uh, kind of like a show like the bachelor god what, what was it called it was good um shit it was with the girl from roswell sherry fuck what was her name uh this is gonna bother me 
I might just leave a gap here and, and I'll explain that Christina is <laughs> madly searching the internet yeah, for no, information. Sh- Sherry Appleby. I, I came up with her name really quickly and then, and I'm, I forgot the name of uh, the TV show, but it was, cause it was a good show. It was nominated for Emmys. It was, it was uh, unreal. Okay. So there was actually a show on, that was three seasons. that was quite good uh, called unreal, which was all about like kind of the insidious nature of the way the producers on the bachelor and the bachelorette like work with contestants. So the producers totally like told Connor to put on a cat suit and and like encouraged him to do that. And like the thing is, is you almost never want to actually do that. Like you you don't want to do the stunts because the stunt people, like they, they get the airtime, but you're usually not going to get a rose. So he actually did better because he's a hot guy and has a really good body. Like then we would have thought despite that the cat suit, but he'll Terrible always be dresser, the cat. Yeah. Terrible yeah. fashion. Yeah, like those, but yeah, the button, the button yeah. down shirts with like the first like four buttons, not not like like showing his chest, like some real Miami Vice, but like not in a in a like retro like what's old is new again way. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, you're you're not wrong, but uh, I I do enjoy his Instagrams. He has a really good body, and I enjoy him on Bachelor in Paradise because you know, really really good body. Uh, don't mind seeing yeah. him like shirtless the whole time, which is like the whole point of the show. So, so for people who aren't familiar, so you have the bachelor, you have the bachelorette, which is like twenty four or twenty contestants or whatever, are looking for love with with a with a bachelor bachelorette who is almost always someone who was on the previous season, who the audience knows, and who often got to the finals and then was was heartlessly, you know, like like uh, love was not allowed, or in some cases there was like maybe a, a proposal and then like after the fact the guy was like. Yeah, actually, I'm not into this, and 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 we're all like watching, uh, uh you know, uh, Becca get broken up with, and and um, uh, feeling pretty terrible about everything that we're we're enduring, and um, so um, they take the so what happens to Bachelor in Paradise is they take the people who probably didn't get all the way, maybe they did, but usually didn't, um, from past seasons, and they put them on an island where they're there for like two or three weeks with lots of alcohol and food and they basically just hook up and fuck and then there's like an elimination ceremony like if you can't find a partner to fuck um although they don't like explicitly say that because the bachelor is this weird place where it's puritanical where they like to pretend that sex only happens in the fantasy suites but uh uh the 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 the, the goat of the franchise uh, uh caitlin bristow fuck nick vial on their first one-on-one halfway through the season, they had to extend production in a foreign country for several days because of that decision. No one knew that was coming. Kaylin Bristow, all hail our queen. She is the greatest <laughs> bachelorette of all time for that reason. Um, uh, but uh, but Bachelor in Paradise, uh, where's the bachelor or bachelorette try to like sell this, this vision of a fantasy of love? Bachelor in Paradise is like, no, we're going to make fun of all these people because we know they're all ridiculous. It's way more about the drama and the fucking and pairing off. And it's it's truly sublime trash television. I oh cannot God. fathom liking this. You, you no, you would hate the, this. You want to know that the last reality TV I watched was? It Bar was rescue. the first, first season of Survivor. Uh, like I I'd gotten through. Which is uh, a good show. What was that? Re- the real, real the, world. 
Okay, oh, shut I, up. Don't don't pretend like you don't you didn't watch the real world. No, You're I a did. Gen Xer. I, Fuck off. I did. I, I watched the real world and and I wasn't at did. that point I wasn't as down on reality TV, but then I was in rehab and like inpatient rehab and the only thing that was ever on the TV in the lounge was Survivor. So mm-hmm. I, I I rolled with it and and I got into Survivor and then I got out of rehab and never watched reality TV again. Well, you missed That's a just lot. Of, me. No, no, but I mean, I, I I get it. You missed a lot of truly <laughs> terrible television in the 2000s during the reality TV boom of the 2000s. However, so I I am sorry that you missed some truly truly terrible television like Jim Millionaire and um uh uh, uh Do you want to marry a multimillionaire and uh, and other like truly abominable um uh, uh stuff? But The Bachelor in Paradise like is a little bit of a wink and a nod. Um, the franchise itself proper has started to lean more into kind of acknowledging like who many of its fans are, but Bachelor in Paradise when it started was unique because it was in, it's like, I think five or six years old at this point, maybe a little bit older in that it was the first time that this, because the series and part of my initial appeal, which was ironic, I, I have to admit at the beginning, um, was that it took itself like so seriously and was so chaste in some of its approach to things, even though you always knew that stuff like went down and 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 second greatest bachelorette of all time, uh, 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 Courtney Robertson, um, um, uh, Rachel Lindsay, who's truly the greatest bachelorette of all time. The reason I'm not putting her number one is she was too good for the show then. She's too good for it now. So she doesn't like count. Like she went on that show and was great for representation, but she was too good for the show when she went on. She's a, she's a lawyer. Um, uh, her dad is a federal judge. She's also the first black, um, um, lead on the show, which was stupid that it took that long. But anyway, before Bachelor in Paradise, the show had always had like this very, like, highly stylized kind of regimented thing. And with, with a couple of very dramatic exceptions, like they really, you know, pushed a certain kind of way of editing and whatnot. And you didn't see any of the messiness. Whereas Bachelor in Paradise, like they just lean into the messy and it's just fantastic. I, how do how do I segue from this into uh, a sponsor read about Notion? Okay, so if you want to keep track of your Bachelor um, Nation um, uh, fantasy list with your coworkers, yeah, this episode is sponsored by Notion, the all-in-one team collaboration software that combines note-taking, document sharing, wikis, project management, and much more into a simple, easy-to-use tool. Not all work collaboration tools are created equal. Some only allow you to organize information while others only allow for project management. Notion is the one tool for your whole team. Build a wiki, take notes, push projects forward all in one place. It's the one place where every team from engineering to sales can work together seamlessly with 500 integrated apps, including Google and Slack. You can collaborate in real time, tailor workflows to your team's specific needs and share with ease. Hundreds of thousands of teams worldwide are already saving time, getting more done and delighting their employees with Notion. Plus, Notion has a worldwide community of millions of users creating templates, tutorials and new inspiration. So the product is getting better all the time. Find out how Notion may be the missing piece your team needs to fully unlock the promise Promise of and remove the pain from remote work. Notion is currently running a special offer to listeners of Overtired. 
Go to Notion.so and use promo code OVERTIRED to get $250 off the annual team plan. That's multiple months free for your growing team. So don't forget, that's Notion.so and enter promo code OVERTIRED during checkout. Get collaborating with $250 off at Notion.so and use promo code OVERTIRED. Thanks, Notion. Can can I tell you? Yes, go on. No, no, I was Aaron, just going to say, Erin, did you but, have anything but, else but, to add? I just want to no. know if she yes. had anything else to add about The Bachelor. Yes, she does. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Okay, go ahead, Erin. Well, what do you have to loop, add? To close the loop, Christina, I want to talk about your, very quickly, uh, your attraction to Connor. Um, so, so Connor, he's a hottie, but he's like a nice guy. He's like, he's a normie, which is, I don't know if that's totally. the word we used to describe Mr. X earlier, but strong, like aggressively, aggressively normal. normal. He's a math right. teacher. So, okay. But he's also I've, a musician. I've known a lot of weird math teachers. Connor is also a musician. What does that mean? That means he brings his ukulele to the island, uh-huh. to the beach. My my question to you, Christina, is does the cringe factor of Connor's ukulele and singer-songwriter Jason Mraz for 2021 vibe, like, how does that play with his his attractiveness to you as a presumably straight person? Like, does it offset it? Does it enhance it? Like, how do you feel about Oh, no, about it diminishes that? it 100%. Okay. Like, okay. I, like, like again, like, I just want to see him with his shirt off, like, to be clear. And and I would prefer to not even hear him talk that much. Like, I, I'm kind of wanting him to just be a himbo, if I'm being totally honest. Yeah. No, the music is totally cringe. But he's also a nice guy. He's sweet. He's enduring. Like, there's so many assholes on that show. And um, I have to say... Lance Bass, who I don't love anyway, I don't. Um, he was on Nick Vial's uh, podcast, and he was like bitching about how like Connor was only on the show like to get his music on, and like, dude, you're how not dare wrong. You? And look, he he has a certain point. Look, almost everybody mm-hmm. in The Bachelor at this point, like, there's this weird like direct through line between The Bachelor and Bachelor adjacent people, like, people in that bubble, and then like Nashville. Like, it's weird. They all go to live in Nashville afterwards. They like, they find a lot of people in Nashville. It's a weird thing. Um, uh, what's his face? Wells, uh, you know, one of the hosts who's mm-hmm. who's great. Like, is was a was a radio DJ in Nashville. Wells, uh, who famously like he got fairly far in his season just because he had a good personality but he like didn't have chemistry with the with the contestant like not really romantic chemistry he's just a really fun guy and and he has a great personality and he clearly was kind of on it he was like yeah you could you could tell that he was like yeah my radio career will probably do well and he won a bachelor in paradise had a great time now i think he's engaged to like one of the stars of um uh, modern family or whatever so like he's he's doing well for himself but like that was this i was like lance bass i was like Yes, he wants to get his music on, but I don't actually think that was the whole reason he went on the show. And of all people to talk, dude, like, the only reason you're guest hosting this is because you want people to listen to your shitty podcast or serious XM show. Like, honestly, fuck off, Lance Bass. He's not a great host either. No, Uh, he's not. He's a bad host. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, also, he's no Chris Kirkpatrick. Sorry. Like, he's the weakest member of NSYNC. So, like, don't come in here as the weakest member of NSYNC. Okay, actually, he's probably- also he's also one of the the second most famous member of NSYNC. So no, he's not. He's not more famous he's the than, most than famous I, member of I, NSYNC with a fish last name. Can we can can, 
I, I know I promised to let you talk about like the bachelor and stuff. We but can move on. We can move on. I really want to tell you about how I solved my VPN woes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is that, too, is that too harsh a transition? No, it's not. This is a perfect transition. I'm really glad we're, ha- we're making this transition and, and that we're, we're done with Bachelor Talk. Erin uh, and I will be starting our, our own podcast. I will be restarting the Basic Bitches Guide to Life with Erin as my co-host. Erin, um, you've just been voluntold for that. Um, Brett, go on. Tell us about your VPN. Like, I was a good sport, right? Like, no, I'm you not... were. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, uh... <laughs> he hated this so much. <laughs> work uh makes us use uh cisco any connect yes to get on the vpn and you know all of the stuff like confluence confluence sorry confluence, Aaron. i know confluence and uh and uh jira and then all of the internal documents and everything you got to be on the vpn but when you're on the vpn everything else is so slow and uh, the VPN times out and you have to enter your password every time because it doesn't store credentials. And yes. every time your computer sleeps, it logs you out. So it's a constant, it's a hassle. I hate it. I put my password on a key binding uh, to save some time, but still annoying. So uh, my manager turned me on to a Docker uh, container that runs uh, it has like its own proxy.pac file that it can serve up to uh, macOS uh, auto configure for the proxy. It targets all of the uh, possible Oracle in- intranet domains and ignores any non Oracle traffic. And then you route your, uh, your ports through the Docker image. And it, 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 it's, it's seamless. You have to restart it every 24 hours, but you can put that on a launch D job. But I didn't want to run Docker on all my machines. Right. So I'm running Docker on my old 2012 Mac mini in the corner of my basement. That's like my home automation server. So Docker's running there with a launch D that, that re- restarts it every 24 hours and then I just have LaunchD on each of my other computers that uses SSH to create a tunnel to forward those ports so that the proxy.pac file, which redirects stuff to localhost ports, right? then when it redirects localhost ports, it actually goes through the Mac Mini and it is flawless. I have never been happier. Well, I've never been happier with a VPN setup. I've I've been happy, but this is really cool. No, okay. So, so basically, so you're running Docker on the 2012 um, Mac Mini, and then you're um, SSHing to launch D to basically run the uh, the config file that way. Yeah, I I have a launch D job that that runs SSH in the foreground, so the launch D job just keeps running until the SSH fails or crashes and then it has a keep alive so it just restarts the tunnel so basically it's always always running and i never have to think about whether i'm on vpn or not in fact i'm on vpn right now and it's not affecting my my bandwidth at all nice nice it seems like have you ever looked at tailscale are you familiar with tailscale no idea what that is okay tailscale is badass so it's basically kind of like a zero config like VPN sort of install and it, it helps you get like WireGuard basically installed or, or, or things similar to that, but without having to do 
the difficult configuration that WireGuard entails, but you can install it on any device. You can share it with a bunch of people in your local network, and then you can basically kind of create like host names so that you could access like your home machines remotely without having to like manually configure like your your firewall stuff or, or, or you know, like like figure out like how you're like handling like the DNS and all that stuff. It's really, really good. What's um, it called? It Tailscale. T-A-I-L-S-C-A-L-E. Yeah, okay. It's really good. My uh, my friend Brad um, uh, works on it and um, it's uh, it's awesome. Um, I don't know if that would do anything for your setup, but it's been, I would definitely encourage people who might need something similar to look into. And I don't know how it would, it would work with the Cisco AnyConnect thing. For some reason, I thought that you were able to get around some of this by using a different VPN client. Did that I was, end up not working? So, yeah, like Shimo was kind of working for a little while, but then uh, like it got to a point where it would I could get to intranet sites while it was active on the VPN, but I couldn't get to the rest of the internet. Like I couldn't do it simultaneously. Uh, the only way I ever got that to work was with Cisco AnyConnect while I had that fucking overprotective profile that MDM that uh, Oracle yep. pushed onto my personal machine. Uh, and for that period of time, the VPN was bearable, but I still had to do that logging in and out. But Shimo still like, I couldn't get this. I don't know what I'm doing with networking and VPN stuff. Like I, I beat stuff until it works. I spent the weekend uh, getting all of the port forwarding right on my Synology. Yep. So that I can get remote access. And I built a, uh, a, a, a so Synology has dynamic DNS built in. Mm -hmm. And Namecheap can add dynamic DNS to any domain you register there. Yes. But Synology can't update Namecheap. So I wrote, uh, well, did I you write, pieced you write, together. Do, do you write a thing like for their API to basically? Well, I, yeah, I just, I wrote a, a service that I added to their like default services. So now the dropdown includes Namecheap. And now I have my custom domain that I won't share publicly because it's all, you know, yep. private. But uh, I have a nice short custom domain that's very personal to me because I'm vain and I, I can access my, my Synology, my local web servers, uh, every, everything. And so, my home automation server. So yeah. you've kind of created this mesh VPN thing similar to what they've done. Um, and I'm not wanting to undo your work, but I really want you to look at Tailscale because they have a Synology package. And um, it just, it makes so much of the configuration stuff, especially on like mobile devices, so much easier. So I want you to, I want you to like, especially next time you go into like a, a manic, like deep dive space, I want you to go into Tailscale. Also, their documentation is really good. Um, Aaron, I don't know how much you fuck with networking stuff. I fuck with it enough to be dangerous, but not enough to like really understand things. Um, uh, but uh, I, I like uh, I like Tailscale. I will check that out. Speaking of, not I don't think Aaron. I don't think Aaron's into this stuff. Are you into this stuff, Aaron? No, but here's what I have to offer. Here uh, is a question. Maybe I when when I started at our in our in our workplace, Brett, I I wanted to be, you know, like a device separatist where like I have yeah. my, you know, MacBook Pro, but I have my iMac where like mm -hmm. I do things. Um and 
pretty quickly learned that that's like not a super tenable thing because I much prefer using my main machine, my iMac over the over the laptop. So I'm just going to sometimes VPN in to my iMac. Here's here's my question. I'll I'll have to VPN in to access Confluence or Jira or whatever. And then we'll forget to disconnect from the VPN. Okay. In the meantime, and here's where the question is, I might, I might go to some unseemly things, not necessarily NSFW, but you know, a little, a little racy does, you know, VPN does a lot of things, but one thing that it does for our place of work is probably, I'm guessing, surveillance. So yeah. If you go to an unseemly website, um, not that that's going to be flagged, but is that, uh, does that logged? display on the, is it logged on the other end? So I don't know about your policies. Do you know the answer to that, Brett? I, I know that there is no policy that says it is not logged. Okay. Mm. So I know that, for instance, at Microsoft, if I'm on the corporate network, like the subnet, I can basically guarantee that any traffic that I'm visiting is logged somewhere. Although I also know those logs are purged. And I also know that there are 160,000 employees or whatever. And so, you know, the likelihood of them seeing anything is minimal. I, I know that at least for us, like my managers can't see anything. Um, the, 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 the trust and safety team might be able to or whatnot. I do also know that they have, um, that they block certain websites and they actually block certain connections like i can't use BitTorrent on the corporate network mm -hmm. um unless i use a different vpn on top of the corporate like hardwired vpn which yes yeah, um I, I got BitTorrent for my synology so i'm glad i figured this out yeah no i mean and in, in my case i mean i was actually ironically doing the thing that i always make fun of people for claiming they're like hey, i downloaded a linux system i'm like no you're not in this case i actually was downloading some sort of like large thing where like the main distribution thing on there on the project site was like not through a cdn but was through a, a BitTorrent link and then i realized i was like oh they won't let me have this sort of traffic makes sense because people would abuse the the very fast uh corporate internet and also they probably don't want microsoft servers coming up in the logs of those places i totally understand yeah. um you are more than likely logged i don't know if it would i don't know if it is like if you were on your personal machine like do you have, is it like MDM managed? So on your personal machine, are you basically, you're SSHing then? Th so, okay. So if I'm understanding the scenario correctly, your personal machine doesn't have any sort of like device management on it. It is your personal thing, but you are then SSHing into your, um, like you're tunneling through to access your other machine that is connected to your corporate VPN to then access resources. Am I understanding that correctly? Right, but it has basically a grep that searches for only internet subdomains. And if it doesn't match one of those, it sends it right back to be handled as as usual. Right. So but, the right. only traffic that I can possibly send through the no, VPN no, right. no, is so internet. You, no, so for you, you're fine. But I'm asking for, for Aaron, like when you're doing this, are in this scenario, are you SSHing into like your other machine to access that stuff? Or are you like... Are you it, meaning that you're actually using your VPN on your like iMac? Exactly. Dummy simple. Open any connect. You know, connect so you through can the access VPN. a work resource, and then you're yeah. doing other stuff. Like an yeah, end. it's yeah. Okay, it's probably yeah, it's probably being logged somewhere. 
But again, but also who cares? Uh, right. I was going to say that the one like this is like because I'm like a I'm I would like to be a separatist. I can't be completely. Our policies are pretty clear about what they will and won't monitor. But I'm aware like if I'm connected to like the VPN, like the bacon do stuff. Although for personal machines, I think some of the stuff is slightly different, but I, I don't know no, enough about the intricacies. Um, I assume that they can monitor what websites, at least the URLs, like if not the content, because if it's, you know, it's HTTPS, they can't see what you're what you're doing. They could at least see the domains, in which case. You know, like I said, like Oracle has how many, you know, like they have over 100,000 employees. Um, I'm sure that the logs expire at a certain period of time. They don't keep them, you know, forever. The people have better things to do. That said, before you murder someone. Um, make sure you're not connected to the VPN. And if you're going to be Googling, like, how do I hide the murder weapon? Don't be logged into your Google account. Ideally be using a different, you know, VPN service that has a no locking policy, uh, or, you know, um, like a burner laptop. That's, that's my advice for how to get away with murder, by the way. Free advice for the audience there. Use a burner How to laptop. get away with murder. Should that be the title of the episode? I was going to go with Fuckboy Island. But. <laughs> <laughs> How to get away with murder might be good. Uh, yeah, no, because I, 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 I don't know about either of you. I watch like the crime shows and my whole thing is, even though I know that I would never get away with crimes, because I would do something that would be stupid. Uh, more than likely, like, I would do something to get caught. But I always think about like all the mistakes they make and like the OPSEC things. And I'm like, Man, okay, how would you do this to not get caught? Like, that's where my mind goes. Does that make me like a fucked up person? No. Nope. That's my first, that's my first consideration. Yeah. Because I always want to think about, go on. As analytical people, I think we can cosplay as anything we want and explore all those kinds of options should something happen to us. Like one of the, one of the reasons we dream right supposedly is that like our our brain is like this is this would be a scary scenario for you so i'm going to simulate it and watch Mm -hmm. how you behave so that if and when this ever happens you might know what to do so i don't think that makes you a weird person i think we're designed or fucked up i think we're designed to do that however i did see uh online um about this like about a way to to get rid of a body that really struck me and it's really really clever the idea is that you would tell the police where a body is buried and so they'll go out to this this forest or whatever and dig up where you told them where you tip them off they don't find anything they put the dirt back they look elsewhere in the meantime that's where you put something that you huh. want to hide because it'll look like the fresh right. soil was dug up by the police and not by the killer Right. And then, like, what is the likelihood that the overtaxed homicide department is going to go back to the place they've right. already checked out? Right. That's clever. That is. I, I imagine that that could work. I, I will never get to test it. Uh, I'm a vegetarian, so <laughs> I, I just I, I I I wish I wish I could have proof that that worked, but also. I don't think anyone would talk about it if it did. Yeah. My only thing with that would be you need to make sure you're not a suspect because then you because if you were, then they probably are surveilling you. And then they right. would like pick up on you, you know. Based on all the cop shows I've watched, yes. 
Yeah, I was going to say, um, Grant and I were watching um, a, uh, a Columbo rerun last night. Um, and <laughs> One more thing. Yeah, this is our final thing. No, but it was really good. It's called, a, it, was, it was actually a really good episode. It was like written by Stephen J. Cannell, the guy that went on to create the Rockford Files, the A-Team and, and, and shit. Um, and uh, in this case, because here, and then Grant gets so annoyed with me because what I always do with, with these shows is I always root for the killer. Like, I want him to get away with it. Like, I don't <laughs> want Columbo to crack the case. And Clovo, of course, is always going to crack the case. That's the whole damn thing, right? But I'm always like, no, man, I like really like want like the the killer to like get away with it. And this guy was really clever, and 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 had honestly, if it weren't for some pop science from 1973 that they'd interjected into it, the rest of it was all circumstantial, and they never it never would have been the Clovo never would have solved the case. But uh, but yeah, um, that 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 just was reminded me yeah. of that. I'm sorry. That that Peter Falk is a tall glass of water. Isn't that his name? <laughs> yeah, James, I, think so. I think James Garner was better. I, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, you know, James Garner was also on TV for fucking ever. I did love, I did love Columbo, though. I watched so many reruns of Columbo. See, you, see, you and Grant are like so similar. Birds of a feather. Honestly, because like I, I, the Columbo shit like drives me crazy sometimes. I'm like, really, Columbo? And, and he's like, no, it's so good. And yeah, like 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 you, Aaron. Like I, I think Grant is is very into Peter Falk. I think that he thinks he's a tall glass of water, and uh, um, he's very funny um, actor. But uh, yeah, you it's know what even... show gets really good in season four? What's that? Yeah. Speaking of like mystery crime solving shows, yeah, it does. Like I was enjoying Chuck, but then season four came along. And holy shit, like, I'm hooked. Like, I want to watch it every night now. It's it's goddamn good. Like, I got to season whatever, five of Community, and it just kind of became it a background show. Yeah. So now it's like, Chuck is my comfort show. Watch it every night before bed. Crazy. If you, if you got to season, and that's The Sopranos for me right now, but if you got to season four, were you not already hooked? I... I was enjoy like I like to always have uh, at least one just comfortable show that I can kind of play my phone play on my phone while it's on half pay attention to it's just kind of like a way to let down after a busy day at work yeah uh, and you know that's been everything from Frasier to God yeah uh, and what what was Parks and Rec uh, the the Bob Hope show we did for a little like it's always just oh, mostly yeah, yeah, old yeah. outdated TV. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, Chuck, but, but Chuck, Chuck was good. that. Um, have you watched either? Because we just both we just recently got uh, on our um, Plex um, all of um, both the uh, Newhart and the Bob Newhart show. And uh, Bob Newhart is a fucking funny guy, man. He, he, yeah, that show had a lot of a uh, lot of brilliant moments in it. Yeah, but both of them were good, right? Like I didn't, was- I didn't see the second. I only saw. I guess, like, no, I was watching. Was it called the Newharts? It was, New like Heart. a, it was the one at the N. I don't know. So, so there's because the, so there's the Bob Newhart show where it was like he's a psychiatrist and and he's got is kind of a you know um uh you know kind of it's like a kind of you know uh the sixties and like sitcoms so he's a psychologist and 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 it's not dissimilar from Frasier in some regards but it's it's honestly very different and he's very funny and then there's Newhart which is he's like running an inn yeah that's the one i've seen okay so so the bob newhart show which was a decade earlier 
is also great, but it's very funny. And the thing is, is that if you watch the Bob Newhart show, then the series finale of Newhart will make more sense because, and this is why it's a spoiler and I'm sorry, but it's been 30 years, audience, you've been whatever. And it's at this point a known trope. But the series finale of Newhart is considered one of the greatest of all time because it ends. And and this was also a trope at the time in the 80s where like it was just a dream. That was a thing that they did on Dallas and shit like that. He wakes up and he's in bed, not with his wife from Newhart, but with his wife from the Bob Newhart show in his character from the Bob Newhart show. And he's like, I just had the weirdest dream and starts talking about all these crazy people that were in his life. And like that is considered like hands down, like one of the greatest like TV finales of all time. Like they didn't do any How I Met Your Mother ruining shit. That's like a like up there with St. Elsewhere and The Sopranos. Speaking of stuff that use your comfort show, Aaron as like one of the greatest finales of all time. I can't wait. All right. So I feel like I need, we're 20 minutes late for an optional meeting right now, but I feel like I really need to start both the Sopranos and the wire because I've yes. never seen either. Oh my God. I'm so excited for this. Okay. So Aaron, is this your first time watching the Sopranos? Yes, it is. Season <gasps> five, Amazing. baby. You're a season yeah. five. Okay. All right. So you were watching some of the greatest television ever. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for you to see how it ends because it, it does end very well. And unfortunately, because um, James Gandolfini died, like it is, you know, kind of like the uh, we won't ever get like a revisitation with at least him anyway. But but David Chase, who created uh, well, he wrote for Rockford Files, speaking of Rockford Files um, and uh, um, Northern Exposure and stuff, but yeah, no, uh, there's a really good book that I need to find um, that I think he contributed to um, about The Sopranos. So the book is called um, Difficult Men Behind the Scenes of the Creative Revolution from um, uh, The Sopranos and The Wire to Mad Men and Breaking Bad. It's by Brett Martin. It came out in 2014. It's a really, really good book. Um, and uh, that is good. So you need to watch The Sopranos, Brett, because... 20 years on, I'm actually mad. Well, you're in rehab and you're doing other stuff and you thought you were too cool for HBO. I get it. You thought you were too cool for HBO. You weren't, but but you thought you were. Um, Aaron, have you watched The Wire? I have. I watched up to season two. Um, but yeah, kind of kind of fell off. And and let me just say really quickly, the reason that I started The Sopranos is because I'm getting a pretty major surgery next month. And we'll have a lot of like bed rest time to recover. And I wanted to start something with like a really steep catalog, lots of hours to watch. But like I I wanted to save like maybe 30 hours and I couldn't do it. I had to keep watching. So, yeah, maybe I should watch The Wire too. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, you you should both watch The Wire. Um, Because the thing is, is that I think like because The Wire every season has like a different focus area. Um, Brett and um, I, like True Detective. Um, no, not really. It's more like an investigation into a different part of like the city. Like, like there's one season, like season four, I think, is all about like the education system, and you know, some things are about kind of like the you know some some like the the and and be kind of the impact of the of drugs and and that sort of thing, like on like you have like similar characters who go throughout all of the seasons, but it's it's focused on like a different area. Um. I, I don't know. I think David Simon is is brilliant. The Wire, it's one of those things where I don't want to like overhype the show. I don't know how much you will love it. I think it's some of the the best television that's ever existed. 
Um, I mean, I okay, but <laughs> no, but I do like. I, okay, so David Simon's book. I'm just gonna like Christina out for a second. Um, clearly, the extreme kick. kick That's in. what we're all here for. <laughs> okay, so in 1991, David Simon wrote a book called, and I'm going to memory here, so I think it was 1991. Wrote a book called um, "Homicide a Year on the Killing Streets." where he was embedded, I believe it was 1989, with the um, Baltimore Homicide Division for a year. He's a reporter for the Baltimore Sun, and he was embedded with the homicide team for a year. And, like, they let him basically see everything. And, like, he lays out, like, the rules of what he was and wasn't allowed to do at the beginning. And, and, like, he didn't interfere, but he was kind of a fly on the wall, and he captured everything. And at the time, Baltimore was, like, the most deadly city in America. And had like a ridiculous like number of unsolved rates and whatever stuff. The book is a phenomenal piece of journalism. I just want to say it's a phenomenal kind of like work of art in and of itself. That went on to be the basis for what I consider one of the greatest network television shows of all time, which is um, Homicide, um, um, A Life on the Streets, which aired on NBC. The final seasons weren't quite as good because the network fucked it up, but it's tremendous television. It's unfortunately not on streaming. You can find it on other places because they released it all on DVD. Um, that was created by a guy named Tom, Tom Fontana. They shot it in Baltimore and and used, you know, um, a lot of the actors who were in Homicide, you'll also see in The Wire. You'll also see it in Tom Fontana's other show, Oz, which I think is tremendous, even though it's very pulpy. Um, David Simon started writing for television on Homicide. He came in, I think, like the third season. And then he adapted or helped adapt his second book called The Corner into a miniseries for HBO. And that kind of kicked off, I guess, the idea with HBO of, hey, let's let's do The Wire. And 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 The Wire is is uh often lauded as like the greatest television show, you know, one of the greatest television shows of all time. I don't know if I'd go that far. I think it's certainly up there. Um and and it's uh like it, it's 60 episodes. So if you need like hours, Aaron, like that might be a good one to look at. Um, it's on HBO Max or whatever. It's it's really good. Have you watched The Americans, Aaron? Hell yeah. It's so good. Okay. Okay. Because because I cause my opinion, The Americans was the greatest show of the 2010s. One of the yeah. greatest shows like of this century. Um so, and if you liked the Americans, then I think that you would like obviously other aspects. Like you only got through two seasons, but I think like maybe watch more of The Wire because um, it's it's really strong. So we can start both a Bachelor in Paradise and a Wire rewatch podcast. Is what yes. you're saying? <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Because I really think <laughs> that's what we need. We need like really gritty, like drug, like drama and like a like a indictment of the system which is what is i love that, about all well, i love about all of simon's work and like a bacchanalian celebration of of lust is that Precisely. one podcast or two i mean it are should you gonna be, combine the I two mean, i mean it should be two but i honestly feel like it should be like one like i feel could, like like a super bipolar you could like split it down say, the middle have a sponsor yeah. break in the middle and then you switch <gasps> to like Dark. Oh, yeah. We will have five listeners, but I kind of love this idea. A small but dedicated nation. <laughs> I'm working on a new podcast right now that'll probably have five listeners. Maybe what? it'll get off the ground. What's that? It's a it's a secret project for the time being. 
I will definitely hype it when it's ready, but we're, we're recording a bunch of stuff in advance and trying to figure out exactly what our format's going to be. And I think we're going to do like a half hour podcast. It, it'll be interesting. I promise. Um, but I will, I will give you more details. It's about VPN. You can say it. (laughs) It's a podcast dedicated to your VPN project. I get it. It's called, it's called called Brett VPN. No, I'm doing a podcast with Mr. X. We're doing like, uh, (laughs) Turner and Hooch. You're doing a Turner and Hooch thing where, where it's, it's like Normie, Normie and the brain. He is, he is clearly Hooch. Clearly. Well, well, wait, was, was Hooch the dog or was, was Hooch? Um, I thought Hooch was the dog. Yeah, I you was know, gonna say, I'll be honest. I've never seen it. You know, I don't think I have either. I just know it has Tom Hanks in it, and um, and it was kind of a flop, though. Because I heard a, it seemed like you know, it I was don't definitely I, part of the zeitgeist. It was for part that of the era. zeitgeist, but but for some reason, I thought it was a flop. I thought it was one of those that didn't do super well. I don't know. It no, um, no, it did well. It budgeted a thirteen million box office, seventy one point one million. They didn't have a big marketing budget. No, it was a hit. Okay, I don't know. Did I you was, just flash like Chuck? No, I had to look that up on Wikipedia. Oh. Uh, I, I I wish I could flash like Chuck for that. I flashed like Chuck during the homicide uh, wire, like <laughs> freak out. That was sadly completely from memory. Um, <laughs> that I did not actually reference Wikipedia at all for, which is messed up. But um, uh, I did have to look this up. Uh, I knew that it was a. I knew it was Touchstone. I knew it was Disney. That's the fucked up thing. I knew I knew the studio. I, I didn't know the other details. Why did I know the studio? The movie came out when I was five years old. I have no idea. But yeah. We should go. We should. Hey, Aaron, thanks for coming. Been an honor. Thank you. you. You've been a you've been a swell guest. We'll have you back again. We'll definitely have you back. Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Well, Aaron, Christina, get some sleep. Get some sleep, Brett and Aaron. Get some sleep, Christina and Brett. The system is going down low.